Daniel chapter 12 concludes the prophecy of Daniel. It's a short chapter. And in point of fact, Daniel 12 really is mostly an appendix to prophecy in general in the book of Daniel specifically. The last vision in the book of Daniel begins with chapter 11, verse 1, and runs through chapter 12, verse 4. And so the first four verses of this chapter really conclude the vision that we studied the last time we were in the book of Daniel. Now the broad outline of this last vision, which is very comprehensive about the end of time, as well as a dual application to a time that was future to the time of Daniel, between Daniel's day and the day of the Lord Jesus, there was a period of time of trouble for the Jews that is covered by this vision, but there is also obviously an application specifically to the end of time as well. Now broadly, this last vision contains the following elements. We saw in chapter 11 the rise of a world ruler and the coming to the forefront of a world religion. There was a world war followed by a time of great trouble for the Israeli people. This is one of those portions that has a dual application. And then also of dual application, a time of deliverance for the Israelis, a time of resurrection and judgment, and a statement about the reward of the righteous. And this chapter, this vision also meshes perfectly with the prophecies of Jeremiah, with the statements the Lord Jesus made in his Olivet Discourse as recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, and fully with Revelation chapters 6 through 19, which deal with the same subject matter. So let's consider the text of Revelation, or Daniel chapter 12. In verses 1 to 4, as the vision proper is ended, here the godly are preserved. We read, Now at that time Michael, the great prince, who stands guard over the sons of your people, will arise and there will be a time of distress such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. And many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. And those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of heaven, and those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever and ever. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words and seal up the book until the end of time, for many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Note this, four elements within these verses. The rising of Michael the archangel, <coughs> the time of severe tribulation, the time of deliverance, and introduced here the doctrine of the resurrection of the dead to final judgment. Now, there's a lot of doctrine all over the book of Daniel, and I haven't done much pointing it out, but this chapter is so short that I'm going to point out a little bit of doctrine to you. In 
chapter, in verse 1 of Daniel 12, he says, at that time, your people, and then he qualifies it, everyone whose name is found written in the book. Now, the Bible tells us that God chose of his own free and sovereign power the nation of Israel to be uniquely his people. And yet we know from the rebellions in the wilderness and the punishments of death on the rebellious and those who died in the wilderness that all who were part of the nation Israel that were elected to be the people of God, chosen by God, all those individuals within that nation were not truly God's people. In fact, Paul, when talking about this very doctrine in the book of Romans, says, for all who are of the Jews are not the seed of Abraham. Now, this doctrine is called the doctrine of election, which you will find prominently in the Baptist faith and message. And in every Baptist confession of faith, since the Baptists began confessing their faith hundreds of years ago, and what this essentially means is that everyone, even those, you know, this was a covenant, an old covenant. Well, there's a new covenant in Christ. And everyone within the so-called covenant community is not the people of God. That's why there are believers whose children are not Christians and children who are believers whose parents are not Christians. The doctrine of election is closely tied to the doctrine of predestination, which means God knew far in advance, but unless we are in charge and God is not, predestination and election means more than God knew. It means ultimately when all is revealed and we understand everything, we will know that everything that has ever occurred has been done by the decree of Almighty God. God knew he said, your people will be rescued. All those whose names are written in the book. In other words, there will be names not written who will not be rescued, for they will not be a part of that covenant people in truth. Now notice also in this passage that Michael does not instantly deliver them. We are told in the beginning that Michael stands up because he is the guardian of the people. Then follows a time of trouble and tribulation. And this is one of the mysteries that we'll one day understand that God doesn't always preserve us from the time of trouble. But God will deliver in his time when it fits his purposes and it is within his plan. He will deliver us without fail, but not according to our timetable, according to His. He is always there. Now in verse 4, as this vision ends, it's a very interesting uh, phrase. It says, many will go back and forth. I believe the King James says, many will run to and fro, and knowledge will increase. And whatever the exact picture is supposed to be for us, that the words paint, it indicates that there's going to be a beehive of activity toward the time that this vision is talking about. Now, I made it a special point to trace this down in every source that I had and read it in every translation I have, try to figure out exactly what I mean, uh, what it means. And I think what it means, and I, I wouldn't swear, but I think what it means is that in the end of time, many 
will diligently peruse, scrutinize, and search the Scriptures for the signs of the times. And knowledge will increase. Now that fits in with what else is said here, for Daniel is told to seal up the book until the time of the end. Now John is told exactly the same thing. Uh, the opposite thing. John is told that the book is to be read and studied and believed because it contains the plan of God for the end of time. Now the book of Daniel was closed in many ways for not until the book of Revelation and the Holy Spirit began to teach the meaning of prophecy when the Bible was finally assembled. All together, the Old and the New Testament, did the book of Daniel begin to make any sense as far as its prophecy goes. And I believe that verse 4 is teaching and I believe we're seeing it verified today. Do you know of any subject in the Christian community that uh, generates more interest than prophecy? You know, it's almost a mania. And I've, you know, sometimes I think it's too much. But it's almost a mania. Many will diligently search for the meaning of prophecy in the end of time. Now with this verse, verse 4, is ended the vision, the prophetic vision. And verses 5 through 13 really form kind of an appendix to the book of Daniel that yield additional light and give a little bit of additional information. In verses 5 through 7, we are told the length of terror, which perfectly accords with Daniel chapter 7 and 8 and with the entire book of Revelation, which zeroes in and the book of Revelation majors on this period of time called the Great Tribulation. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, two others were standing, one on this bank of the river and uh, the other on that bank of the river. And one said to the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river, How long will it be until the end of these wonders? And I heard the man dressed in linen who was above the waters of the river as he raised his right hand and his left toward heaven and swore by him who lives forever that it would be for a time, times, and half a time. And as soon as they finish shattering the power of the holy people, all these events will be completed. Now, I do not think it insignificant that in the vision, as God communicated it to Daniel, this bit of inf a parenthetic information as the book closes, he sees one of the angels talking to another, and the one who answers the question raises both hands and swears by the God of heaven that this is the way it's going to be. Now, I would not pretend to give you a laundry list of everybody you ought to be aware of who claims to be a Christian. But you find somebody that laughs prophecy off, forget it. Just forget it. There's wide divergence of interpretation of prophecy, but it is meaningful. And here, as the same words are used as used previously in, in Daniel, as the same description is used that is used in Revelation, Repeatedly, the Bible tells us, and here God gave a vision of an angel swearing by his own throne that this is the way it's going to be at the end of time. You see, the period of tribulation shall be seven years. But for the first three and a half years of that time, Israel shall have a peace treaty with the one world ruler. 
At the end of that first three and a half years, that world ruler, having consolidated his power, is going to break his treaty with Israel, declare himself to be the one true God, and all hell is going to break loose. And it is those three and one half years about which so much Old Testament prophecy talks about. A time, times, and half a time. Now there is also a dual application as I previously mentioned. We studied the man, the king of the Seleucid Empire, Antiochus Epiphanes, who hated the Jews passionately. And it is a fact that for three and one half years, worship at the temple had ceased because of the persecution and the war brought against the people of God by Antiochus Epiphanes. And as this passage closes, as the book closes, we'll see a little further detail about him. But here is the length of the time that Old Testament calls Jacob's trouble, the time within the seven-year period of tribulation called the Great Tribulation, three and one-half years of severe persecution, of worldwide trouble such as the world has never seen before. And that is the length of terror. And then in verses 8 through 10... Here is a dual result. And in this passage again is seen the plain and simple fact that the Bible does not teach that it is the design of Almighty God that all men will be saved. Now hear me carefully and don't think I said something I didn't say. It was never the design of Almighty God that all men should be saved. It never was. The scriptures have affirmed since Cain slew Abel that some of the sons of men hate God and will go to the grave hating God. And here is a dual result. Verses 8 through 10. As for me, I heard but could not understand. So I said, My Lord, what will be the outcome of these events? And he said... Go your way, Daniel, for these words are concealed and sealed up until the end of time. Many will be purged, purified, and refined. And then notice the next words. But the wicked will act wickedly, and none of the wicked will understand but those who have insight will understand. There is going to be a dual result from the period of the Great Tribulation. Now let me pause and stick this in right here free, and it's very important. Old Testament prophecy always deals with the Jews and the Jews only. Now I haven't made mention of it, but the reason that the book of Daniel and none of the other Old Testament prophets talk about the first half of the tribulation is because Old Testament prophecy never mentions the church. Old Testament prophecy always deals with the Jews. That means verse 10 is dealing with the Jews. During the last half of that period of time, now early in the tribulation, God will raise up two witnesses. They will preach the gospel. 144,000 Jews will be saved and sealed supernaturally. 
And for the remainder of the tribulation period, that 144,000 Jews will evangelize the world. Now during that final three and a half years, verse 10 says plainly, many, now who are they? They are the chosen, the ones who are going to be saved. They will be purged, purified, and refined. But the wicked will act wickedly. And none of the wicked will understand. And that is like the book of Revelation when it deals with this period of time when it says, let him who is wicked continue in his wickedness. That's not saying God made them hate him and rebel against him. It's a statement of fact. A simple statement of fact. Jesus Christ said, straight is the gate and narrow the path that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find it. But wide is the gate and broad the road that leads to destruction, and many shall go in thereat. But those who have insight will understand. Daniel asks further in these verses. He doesn't understand, and again he is told that these words are not for his day and time that he will be given no further information at this time. And here is a dual result of the working of God in our world. Some will be saved and do not get the impression that only a little number of people will be saved. For the book of Revelation tells us that before the throne of God praising him forever will be a multitude which no man can number. Some will be saved and some will not. And I pray God by His grace that we may all be among the number before His throne. And then in verses 11 to 13, here is just a very simple statement, almost an aside, an inference concerning one of the great doctrines of Scripture which has been called variously eternal security, the preservation of the saints or the perseverance of the saints which states very simply that if you've been brought alive from the dead by the Spirit of God and you have been saved by the blood of Jesus, you're not going to act and live like those who are still dead in trespasses and sins. We read, And from the time that the regular sacrifice is abolished and the abomination of desolation is set up, there will be 1,290 days. How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. But as for you, and he's speaking to Daniel, go your way to the end. Then you will enter into rest and rise again for your allotted portion at the end of the age. Now verses 11 and 12, and to me, this is one, these two verses are one of the undeniable evidence of the inspiration of Scripture. Unless an individual is either a theological liberal in all likelihood no Christian at all or an outright unbeliever, it has been well established when the book of Daniel was written. During the lifetime of this man, during the period of time when Israel was exiled to Babylon. Now, it is a fact of history. Josephus and other ancient historical sources tell us that it was 1,000 290 days from the time that Antiochus Epiphanes 
desecrated the temple in Jerusalem until the Jews next cleansed the temple and reestablished the worship of God. Now you see this 1,290 is different than three and a half years. That's 1,260. So here again is a, a statement with a dual application. The great tribulation, the period of Jacob's trouble when the Antichrist deceives them and declares war on them is going to be three and a half years. But it is also a historical fact that this wicked king, Antiochus Epiphanes, and what he did, by the way, was bring his armies into Jerusalem, kill all of the priests he could find, and offer a pig as a sacrifice to a pagan god on the altar before the Holy of Holies in the temple of Jerusalem. And from the time that he did that until the Jews cleansed the temple and reestablished the worship of Jehovah was 1,290 days. But that's not the only thing here. The latter part of the verse, or verse 12 says, How blessed is he who keeps waiting and attains to the 1,335 days. Now what does that mean? When well, Josephus never related it to the book of Daniel, but Josephus records for us. Now, I'm not saying they counted the days, but they gave us the dates. And all you got to do is go to the calendar and count the days. Josephus gave us the dates. From the time that the Jews were victorious in throwing off the yoke of Antiochus, they freed themselves from his domination. From the day that they reestablished worship in the temple until the day Antiochus Epiphanes died was 45 days. And 1290 plus 45 is 1335. Just proof for anyone but a pagan of the inspiration of God's word. That prophecy concerning the cleansing of the temple and the death of the persecutor of the Jews was written well over 200 years in advance of the fact. And then verse 13. It's like God wraps an arm around old Daniel who's past 90 now and been in and out of retirement two or three times and seen three world empires rise and fall. And he says to Daniel, now you can take it easy. You've done your part. Won't be long before you enter into rest. This is a far cry from the doctrines of the Jews hundreds of years before when they felt like the grave was the end of everything. He said, you can enter into your rest and then you can rise again when the time comes for your allotted place in my kingdom. Daniel entered into rest. He will see from a ringside seat all of the developments that his book describes relative to the end of time. And then he will be among that great multitude that comes to reign with Christ when all has been done and everything has been established, and so shall we who know Him. These verses are the capstone of prophecy. I, they, they fittingly bring to a conclusion the prophetic utterances of the Old Testament as they relate to the end of time. And I believe by every sign that Scripture notes that it will and must be soon. All that is prophesied is or has come to pass or will come to pass soon. Now I believe that soon, before we know what happens, we will be rising through the air hearing the sound of the trumpet of God 
and we'll go to be with him and the period of the tribulation will begin following which we shall come to reign with him. And I would remind you that Jesus said in John 10, 35, talking both to his friends and to his enemies, the scripture cannot be broken. All will come to pass. And I hear somehow the words of that old camp meeting song, work for the night is coming when man works no more. And if there is something that God would do with your life, you need to forsake the folly of resisting His will. You need to follow Him with your whole heart. You need to let Him do it with you now or the day of opportunity for you to be a part of His ordained means for reaching this world will be past. All will come to pass. And the night is coming when man can work no more. We will be above with him watching the horrors that prophecy reveals at the end of time. May we pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for so many evidences that your word gives where it validates its own truthfulness and authority. And Father, I pray that as your word says that you, it itself will be your power in reaching hearts and changing lives. Father, I pray that the Word will do its work in our lives. And I pray that we will allow the Word through us to touch the lives of others. And Father, I thank you that you've never been frustrated one time in the eons of eternity and that all will come to pass. Father, we forsake the folly, the ridiculousness of resisting you, of seeking in many ways to persist with an ocean that we know better than you do. And Father, would you capture us, capture our whole hearts, and do with us a work that will honor Jesus, that will bless many. Now, Father, apply the word to our hearts and draw from us the kind of commitment you desire. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We stand to sing for our invitation hymn during this time of commitment, hymn 349, Have Thine Own Way. Publicly, privately, what he would have you do, do it right now in quickness.
Scripture has come to mean many things, very few of which have any relationship to what it ought to mean. But you know, in the book of Luke, in chapter 24, and I'm not going to preach, but just a word of illustration. In the initial part of chapter 24 of Luke, we see the disciples while Jesus was still in the grave, and they were a, a defeated, unhappy bunch of people. And they just knew that everything had came to an end, come to an end, and they acted like it. But you know, after the resurrection, it was totally different. All of a sudden, these men who had run for fear of their lives and, and these men who had cowered behind a locked door until Christ was resurrected and presented himself to them, all of a sudden, they were in the court of the temple proclaiming Jesus. They were taken to jail, beaten, threatened with their very lives and looked at people who had evidently at least the power of life and death over them and said, we don't care what you say, we're going to obey God. Now you see, the difference was before Easter morning, they didn't know he wasn't dead, but afterwards they knew he was alive. Now how do you live? How do you, which side of Easter do you live on? Listen, we may not understand all about it, but I know this much, God has never been frustrated. You get that? God's never been frustrated. God planned before he ever created Lucifer and knew that Lucifer was going to rebel and knew that man was going to rebel. And God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit made a covenant in eternity past concerning our salvation. God's never been frustrated. The death of Jesus wasn't an afterthought. God planned it. And God has a people, and God's going to call that people to himself no matter who does what. But he's ordained the means of the gospel and of his people carrying the gospel to reach those whom he's going to call to himself. Now, you don't need to be afraid to talk to somebody about Jesus because God's got himself a people. And all you've got to do is tell them about Jesus and God's going to call those whom he chooses. And you've got nothing to lose. All you need to do is obey. Which side of Easter do you want to live on? Let's quit all of this garbage about blaming this, that, and the other thing and quit poor-mouthing around and look at the empty tomb and just go out and shout glory. Glory.